Welcome to The Art of the Impossible, a podcast for the design and manufacturing industry that explores how you can leverage technology, processes, and people to make the impossible possible. I'm Asif Mogul, Senior Industry Manager at Autodesk, and each week I'll be joined by two experts from the design and manufacturing world to discuss their perspectives on the challenges our industry faces and share what they're doing to overcome them. From smart products, mass customization, digitization, supply chain resilience, and the convergence of once diverse industries, this podcast is for anyone that runs a design and manufacturing business who's interested in making things possible. You can subscribe by following us on Apple, Spotify, or via your favorite platform. So it's impossible to have any kind of debate about the design and manufacturing industry without the subject of skills coming up. And it's often referred to as a skills gap, but but actually it feels more like a skills conundrum because on one hand, we're hearing that skills that were in high demand could suddenly become completely redundant and obsolete, but we still need them right now. On the other hand, we are hearing that the sort of skills that we need to be developing in, in our industry um, are really scarce. So how on earth do you strike a balance between closing a skills gap when things aren't you know, particularly clear? So to help us kind of navigate this kind of thorny issue or a really interesting debate, I've got two really special guests. So I'd like to welcome Kadeen James, who's the creative tech lead at Hobbs 3D, and James Moore, who's the managing director of Hosokawa Micron Limited. So welcome to you both. Hello. Thank you. Hello. Right. So I'd like to start by um, asking you to maybe just introduce your organization. So Kadeem, would you like to go first? Could you tell us a little bit about Hobbs 3D, kind of what do you do? Absolutely, I'd be delighted to, and I'm thrilled to be here today on the Autodesk podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me. So I'm the creative technology lead at Hobbs 3D. We're a digital uh, additive manufacturing, 3D printing uh, bureau. We're also an immersive XR, VR, uh, and data visualization studio based at the Olympic Park uh, over in East London. Uh, we have studios uh, across the UK and we have also uh, launched a digital skills academy um, with the Mayor of London uh, looking at ways that we can bridge the digital skills gap uh, and form partnerships and collaborations between industry and academ academia. Uh, and I'd like to talk to you a bit more about that today. Great, thank you. Uh, and James, could you tell us a little bit about Hosokawa Micron, please? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first again, Asif, thank you very much for having me on today's podcast. Um, Hosokawa Micron Limited, we specialize in high containment and particle size reduction technologies. Uh, we design, manufacture, deliver, and support machinery and systems across a wide range of applications. They include pharmaceuticals, fine chemicals, food, minerals, and nuclear. Uh, we differentiate ourselves from our competition as well because we also have a contract manufacturing business as well, whereby we process powders on behalf of customers who may lack the capacity or the capability to operate their own plant. And we support R&D initiatives in our very own innovation center, which we opened last year. And we wrap all of that in our um, what we call data-driven manufacturing offering as well. So in terms of process and system uh, optimization that we call Hoskawa Gen 4. Thank you. I uh, can't give two better guests to kind of debate this topic. So let's kind of really just get into it. Now, I'd like to start with defining the problem. Um, we keep hearing this term, skills gap. 
uh, and there are there are many views. Some people are saying, yeah, we have a skills gap; it's huge. Um, some people are saying, no, we don't have a skills gap. We're we're kind of looking in the in the wrong place. But in terms of defining the skills problem, uh, what's the problem? What's wrong? Um, James, do you want to kind of kick off? Yeah, absolutely. Well, from a personal perspective, I've only worked in manufacturing for four years. Uh, I've been with Husqvarna in that time and took over as MD in March of this year. And I think I was previously part of the, the problem, perhaps, in terms of perception of manufacturing. So thinking that manufacturing wasn't um, necessarily the sexiest sector to go into. And I think that has meant that people with a, a very high skill set may not have been streamed to go into manufacturing or may have looked at it as a, a bit of a fallback position. But I think that's something that has been prevalent for a number of years, and we can now look to address that and look at uh, upskilling people who are in the sector, but also to attract people with appropriate skills and talent into the sector as well to to bridge that gap. Yeah, the gap. We keep hearing the term the gap. Um, using that term suggests that there is a disconnect between what we need and, and what we're producing in terms of skilled people. So, uh, so, so, Kadeen, how, how would how would you define? the gap or the problem from from your experience? I think that's a really good question. Um, And I think that between automation, AI, and all types of bots, um, there's a lot that can be said about the digital skills gap here in the UK, which is growing. Um, In short, I think the digital skills gap, in my view, and the lack of digital skills in the existing workforce compared to the current and projected demand for growth in technological industries and equally in the manufacturing sector and across industries. Um, I'm also thinking a lot about um, the uh, availability of key skills um, in businesses and the threat Uh, that will impact their growth and their prospects in a post-COVID world. Um, And that's largely due to the lack of technical talent that we have. Thinking a lot about revenue generating innovation um, and ways that um, skills really do matter. Uh, And it's estimated that here in the UK, we have um, over 10 million or so UK adults that are living uh, with few to no digital skills. So clearly there's plenty of work to be done. Uh, And I think that we need to look at ways that we can start to really embed uh, digital uh, learning from nursery school age um, right the way through to uh, end of life. So I'm thinking a lot about digital citizenship. I'm thinking a lot about digital rights. I'm thinking a lot about digital inclusion um, and ways that we we can work together uh, with government, with industries. I'm also thinking a lot about the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and the digital roadmap and ways that we can shape policies and better outcomes uh, in order to um, bridge the gap between uh, those that have digital skills and those that don't. So we, we launched a Digital Skills Academy um, because we found that there was a serious lack of the digital skills that we needed as a, an artificial intelligence, machine learning, 3D printing, virtual immersive uh, studios, um, working across architecture, the built environment and the wider creative industries and with you know, uh, the, the world's leading engineering companies. 
So to address that, we set up a Digital Skills Academy uh, with London Legacy Corporation and have partnered with a number of um, industry uh, leaders um, from the construction and built environment sector who sit on our board alongside our digital partners such as Unity, Autodesk, Nvidia, um, and Unreal Engine to really look at ways that we could form strategic partnerships, um, working with SMEs, working with uh, academics, working with researchers, and looking at ways that we could connect with uh, the wider community and those that um, didn't have the digital skills in order to support that and create uh, a talent pipeline that we could then feed into uh, those industries. So we're doing lots of work, uh, particularly within our 3D Skills Academy. Um, and I'm also really invested in the conversation around how we can um, create opportunities for 3D tech education from industry-led experience. So we're hearing a lot about digital skills. Um, so we're obviously training um, people to become designers and engineers and, and sort of manufacturing skills through university degrees or apprenticeships. But in the terms of digital skills, um, James, can you give us some examples of some of the digital skills that we, you think that we need to meet the, some of the projections that uh, Kadeem talked about, but we currently lack? Absolutely. I think we've put a great emphasis within Hosokawa about um, what we call reverse mentoring. So we have that, that younger generation of uh, colleagues who are coming fresh from university, fresh from the, the training, who are upskilling their um, more time-served colleagues, let's say, and, and finding that bridge so that it's not necessarily one-way traffic of the traditional mentoring scheme of the, the older employees, mentoring the, the younger generation to bring them through their apprenticeships, bring them through their training and development. There's a happy medium to be struck with that. And as Kadeen mentioned a moment ago, something we're finding is um, becoming hugely important to us is the ability for using augmented reality and virtual reality. So we have um, the nature of our business. We've got a lot of containment solutions where you have ergonomic testing and, and sort of physical mock-ups that we're building of these glove boxes and these fairly elaborate and multi-chamber isolator systems that you can do a lot of the first uh, early stage conceptual design of that as we're finding remotely. You can use the VR and the AR tools to do that so that in addition to the waste that we'd have from building wooden mock-ups, there's also a carbon footprint elements as a cost, there's a time element from usually uh, significant numbers of our customers would come over to our site in Runcorn and to undertake that ergonomic testing or, or look at the physical mock-ups, which were then, once it was approved, or they may have been amended slightly, but you can amend the, the, the models in real time now. So as whereas previously we would have a carpenter on site for whatever, however long it took, uh, we're doing that so we we're very open-minded about how we can use that vr and the ar initially for a point of difference but in light of the current situation it's really giving us a competitive differentiation and competitive advantage as we're finding now so we we're very much uh, looking at that i don't think we've necessarily got the killer application yet but we're always looking at different ways in which we can integrate that into our systems as well hmm. and it's a really good example uh, and um I'm trying to put myself in the mind of some some of the cynical people that are listening, and they might just say, "Well, um, things like AR, uh, sorry, AI, VR, and AR are quite. They sound quite advanced in terms of their technology, and and in some respects they are. Um, but if we kind of looked at a little bit sort of further down the level of complexity in terms of digital skills, are there any other digital skills that are perhaps a little bit more fundamental?" 
that you think uh, we're lacking in the industry. So, uh, Kadeen, from, 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 from your experience, what are some of the more basic fundamental digital skills that you think you know, we could all do with more of and that we're currently lacking? Um, I think that's a, a really great question. I, I loved hearing more about uh, the work that James is doing in terms of the VR and immersive training. And we're doing lots of really interesting projects in that space and have been doing um, some immersive worlds, uh, you know, training future workforces um, in hazardous environments using tools such as virtual reality and augmented reality. I think, you know, it's without a doubt that we're in the midst of uh, a fourth industrial revolution. And I think that the boundary lines between different industries are becoming blurred, um, just as our physical, biological and digital worlds are fusing together. I think that the economy, um, particularly now um, in a in a post pandemic world, um, and uh, in general, you know, we are rapidly advancing towards a world of AI, big data, quantum computing, nanotechnology, and the Internet of Things, with the billions of devices uh, that are out there, uh, and the and the metaverse and virtual and augmented reality being a big part of that, and in particular with five uh, G technology. Um, the implementations of, of those technologies and how we can ensure that they're human first is something that I'm very much um, interested in. I think much of our day-to-day -day lives now are now spent online, whether it's from shopping to news, working from home um, and from health services, um, digital doctors um, and equally thinking about you know, digital being the new norm. I'm also thinking a lot about the UN uh, and uh, the internet and communication technologies and also thinking about how more than half of the world's population is now on online. Um, I think that there's lots of work to be done in order to bridge that gap and I think that we have um, to really think about ways that we can uh, explore opportunities um, and cultivate uh, collaborations um, from school right the way through to university, industry um, and academic partners um, to explore these technologies and to ensure that the manufacturing industry um, are able to adopt these tools in time and ensure that we have you know, workforces that are um, tech ready um, because of the rise of automation. I was having a conversation with somebody yesterday talking about um, the most uh, popular job in the United States is, um, is, a, is a truck driver. And I was thinking about driverless vehicles. <laughs> you know, what will happen to those people um, if um, we do get to a stage where we're all using, you know, driverless uh, technology? Um, you know, what, where will those skills and attributes be needed, you know, um, in order to, to navigate the world? And I think that having a basic understanding of how to navigate the internet and how to use digital technologies for digital design across so many different industries and sectors um, needs to start, you know, at, at school and continue right the way through to, um, to, to your later stages of your life. I'm thinking a lot about digital intelligence and how we can empower children to convert risks into opportunities. I'm also thinking a lot about cybersecurity. I'm thinking about digital rights. I'm thinking about cyber risks and ways that businesses, you know, can keep informed about how to use these technologies to uh, protect their businesses from, um, you know, cyber attacks. I think those are really huge threats that we face in 
society today and I'm very much invested in in how we can shape those conversations. Mm -hmm. So great examples from you both. So I heard, you know, both you and James uh, sort of mention the word sort of collaboration or or give a sort of a sense of connecting. And it strikes me that that's one of the, some people think, oh my God, why, why, why do I digitize my business? Is it just to do things faster, which I think is definitely an output of, of being digital, but being able to connect various different peoples in more meaningful ways to discuss ideas and topics. I think that's, that's probably one of the, one of the benefits of, of, of being digital. And I think what we're maybe touching upon is before you get to the world of AI and sort of quantum computing and some of these you know, quite high level concept, it feels like there's a level of digital literacy that we could all do with kind of upgrading our, our kind of level. Would you agree, uh, James, from, from your point of view? 100%. I think exactly as you laid it out there, As if we we began with a, um, putting together a digital roadmap that was originally just focused on replacing a lot of the paper-based manual systems we have, we're a very information-rich business. But when you start looking at that, so looking at finding some efficiency within that, we then realized, and in our case, we knew that a limiting factor was our uh, internal ability and as you all know, our partner on a lot of that journey was Autodesk itself. So, but we moved beyond that shifting away from paper-based manual systems to eliminating the waste, uh, bringing in some efficiency. But then the next level from that, as we started to add some more uh, richness to our technology roadmap, and then we started looking at operational implementation, we realized that our, our people needed to become more information literate and more technology literate. So one thing fuels into the other. So some fairly quick, easy wins then open your eyes to a lot of the opportunity that comes with that digitization. And now we find that um, the scope that we first saw for that digitization initiative, it's being fed into now by all of our employees. So rather than it being a top-down, trickle-down project, people are now looking at opportunities of how they can digitize different areas of the business that... To be brutally honest, the, the senior management team, we probably didn't have the scope to, to see that because we weren't actively involved in those roles day to day. So I think the one thing starting small and then it does gain momentum and you do get that buy in as you go as well. So rather than doing that enormous leap to AI, it's taking people along the way so the people are actively involved at every step of the journey as well. So kind of small, regular steps quite consistently instead of the very much so, very much so. No, I think I really echo what uh, James um, has just been alluding to. I think what effects um, does the lack of of key skills have on business performance? I mean, that was one of the key things that we were thinking about, particularly um, referencing, uh, you know, PwC's uh, recent survey, which found that 79% of UK CEOs see the availability of key skills as a top business threat that will impact their growth prospects. Um, So, you know, the skills shortages will cause, uh, you know, a lack of innovation, um, which will raise workforce costs. Um, But there are also more widespread implications, particularly around companies um, that will be unable to pursue growth opportunities, key key initiatives, and and also, um, you know, um, looking at, you know, the... um, the, the quality standards that, that will slip because of the lack of innovation uh, and the lack of te- technological um, advantage 
um, in order to compete. Um, so I think um, one of the things that is also really um, interesting in, is, is who's responsible for tracking uh, the skills gap. You know, what with the right skills um, in short supply, CEOs are considering how to source the talent that they need. And we've been drawing directly from the gaming uh, industry and looking at the kind of skills around Unreal Engine, um, Unity, uh, and all of the Autodesk software skills, which we obviously use, um, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis and have been doing so for many, many years now. So, you know, I'm really interested in how we can hire people um, that have those, um, those skill sets, but also how we can support the existing workforce to upskill because of uh, the the need for um, that knowledge and and understanding of, um, you know, digital skills, uh, particularly around additive manufacturing workflows, digital design workflows, virtual reality, immersive worlds, and being able to assemble in real time um, on the factory floor. So, you know, all of these skills and attributes will be needed across manufacturing and across um, you know, in, across the world in terms of, you know, uh, uh, industries being able to navigate what is a, a very uncertain time economy-wise. But I think digital skills are going to be um, an essential part of uh, economy, uh, economies growing and uh, a, a big part of, of the recovery. So, so there's, there's absolutely no doubt that um, digital skills, digital literacy skills, whatever we want to call them, are, are going to be part of our, a successful future. And um, Kadeen, you just touched on something there that I wanted to sort of, you know, um, just explore a bit further. Um, I see a lot of focus of digital being put on um, uh, people just coming out of university. So traditionally design students, mechanical engineering students, basically students who are being taught. Uh, And I think there's a lot of focus being put on what should we be adding to their curriculum to help them leave with with even higher levels of digital literacy, and I think that's definitely one stream. But one thing that you mentioned is that um, they're not the only people in the workforce. There is an entire employed workforce of crusty old people like myself, who I think we still have some value to offer to the world. Um, so it sounds like that um, if we want to really, if we're serious about addressing this skills gap, we've got to have a blended approach between the two. So. With, with that in mind, um, so, so James, what what on earth could, uh, uh, let's just say there's a managing director just like yourself running a, 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 an SME, you know, uh, SMB type business. What do they need to be thinking about to kind of at least initiate that blended approach? So let's don't throw away the experience. Uh, let's not just bring in fresh new talent, but let's not ignore the fresh new talent. It's, a, it's quite a conundrum, isn't it? It really is. No, you're dead right. And we're looking... We know that a lot of the, the digital skills, they're tough to teach, they're continuous, and there will be times when they need to be self-directed as well. Um, but we have to give that as leaders within the business. We've got to lead by example. We've got to be role models. We've got to facilitate that for our people. And as you rightly say, particularly in Hosokawa, our demographics are um, leaning towards the upper end of the, the optimal scale, let's say. But it's how we bring through people because we know there's a, a massive amount of value within that group of people and the, and the experience can't be discounted. You're not trading off experience and know-how in our sectors for digital skill sets as well. But we know that much of manufacturing in the sectors we're in isn't digital. So we have a blank canvas where in many cases, rather than bringing them to the fourth industrial revolution, we're still 
we deal with a lot of people who are at the third industrial revolution stage. So it's bringing that up, but it's doing it at the appropriate pace as well, you see. So we do use um, a lot of the blended learning approaches and we encourage people to do them. So it's much more practical and experiential as well. So as Kadeen mentioned with um, sort of VR and AR training options as well. So you, ha you have a safe environment or you're you know, not necessarily working in a hazardous environment, but you will, you will use those skills in a hazardous environment later. But it's having that blended. We, we have people whose uh, last experience of formal training and education may have been you know, decades ago in some cases. So we have to make sure we're getting the right blend and the right uh, structure within those training programs. So there'll be some that will be in person. Obviously now much of it is, or all of it has moved online, but it's having learning that structures so that they can, uh, they can embed it, they can take it back into the workplace and embed it, but they all can also be assessed on how effectively they're bringing it back into the workplace. And that, reverse mentoring scheme helps out we find because there may be people who may be slightly apprehensive of applying the digital skills. So um, it may be being encouraged in some of the learning aspects of it to in improve your critical thinking or your creativity. But you mentioned a key word at the, the outset, Asif, about collaboration. So that there are all these traditionally softer skills that we know will complement the know-how in terms of powder processing or containment expertise that we, that we have within uh, Hosokawa. I can imagine that um, having that conversation with people of, uh, I'm going to put myself in the spotlight, of my demographic age, you know, being faced with the challenge of digitizing how I've always done something. Let's say I've, I've been to university and I've studied an engineering degree and I've worked for a number of years doing a specific kind of role in a, in a traditional manufacturer. It's, it's quite a daunting prospect if, if somebody came to me and said, Asif, you, you know, you need to, need to be more digital. I, I can imagine that a lot of people might be quite reluctant or, or might have a sense of anxiety or tension around that. And so, so Kadeen, from, from your experience, um, do you think people are willing to kind of, to kind of upskill, retrain, um, add to their skill set? Uh, is it an easy conversation to have? And, and it, are you having it with a receptive audience? This is a really, really good point. And uh, I was on a call earlier on this morning with Make UK, who head up um, a cons the co kind of consortium for the UK manufacturers um, up and down the country is speaking with their head of policy today uh, in, in, on, on exactly that, you know, in terms of the SMEs and the adoption of, of digital technologies. But I think, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that um, if, if those organisations don't get on board, then they're just going to be left behind. And I think that we've identified that there is uh, a significant issue in terms of uh, retraining uh, and upskilling. And I think that um, it's really important that, you know, we work together, we form collaborations, we uh, make sure that we have robust policies, the support from government, uh, support from uh, the digital uh, in innovation world in terms of being able to establish ways that we can support and collaborate um, to close the digital skills gap and really look at ways that we can harness opportunities for collaboration to support 
um, SMEs um, and looking at ways that we can establish a strong pipeline um, directly from education, but also from those that are being left behind that um, in particular that we're, we've been working with within our Skills Academy um, from poor parts of, of London or from areas where um, they, they may not have had uh, access to a college education or, um, you know, be uh, in, in work, you know, we're, we're really interested in ways that we can support those individuals too. So I think it's uh, about developing collaborations, support from government, funding uh, and ensuring that um, we can all work together um, to look at ways that, that we can address the, the digital skills gap, which we know is widening. I also think that there's uh, some really interesting research that's happening, particularly around the racial digital big tech gap and how we might be able to close that, that window. Um, and I think that you know minorities particularly... Uh, from black and Hispanic groups um, in in the states, and also uh, here in the UK, um, you know, statistics are you know um, stating that they're 10 years behind um, in terms of um, access to broadband, in terms of access to connectivity. Um, and and these, are, these are things that we really need to, you know, own up to and address um, to ensure that we have a, fair, uh, a fairer society um, and that we can create opportunities so that people don't get left behind. They're not digitally excluded. Um, and we can, um, you know, create uh, a world which is... Um, you know, is is fairer <laughs> because uh, you know that there it's very apparent to me with everything that's happening, particularly with Black Lives Matter, um, with the big tech companies not being held accountable um, and paying their taxes. You know, where there's a whole other conversation um, that um, I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in and looking at ways that you know we can really um, make a fairer and more inclusive society. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's pretty well documented that the more diversity that we can Absolutely. introduce into, I, I mean, I yeah. just think any any aspect of, uh, of uh, professional lives and personal lives, um, I think uh, the better the outputs, the results, whether that result is like your level of happiness or quality or productivity, completely. creativity and innovation. Absolutely. And I, and I just have one other point I wanted to make. You know, I, I really want to use the platform that I have as a woman working in technology um, to um, support um, those from underrepresented groups. Um, and uh, I'm doing uh, lots of work in that space. And I think that, you know, the world is clearly shifting from analogue to digital faster than ever before. Um, which is exposing us to, you know, lots of promise and opportunities, um, but also um, it's bringing about uh, a number of challenges in terms of the growing digital divide, cyber threats and human rights violations online. And uh, I think that as a society, we need to come together in order to address that. And that's going to take a multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary approach from across sectors, um, uh, you know, in, in order to, you know, form collaboration and a collective intelligence um, that will help us to, to address that. So what I'm hearing so far from, from this really fascinating conversation, in terms of skills, it, it, it does seem like there's a disconnect, a disconnect in terms of where we, we know we need to be as an industry or a society, the, the availability of the people that have those skills to kind of get us there. Um, it seems to be, it's not just about what we teach engineers and designers 
uh, in university. It, it, it's a lot broader than that. Um, I've heard you both talk about there's some hard skills you need to learn. So you know, traditional mechanical engineering is, is one example of that. But there's some of these softer skills. James, I think you talked about the ability to collaborate, uh, collaborate uh, and, and having a level of digital literacy to almost how do you use not technology just for the sake of technology, but how do you use technology to, to deliver your hard and soft skills? And I think, that, I think if I had to try and define digital literacy, probably that's what it is. How confident and comfortable are we to use tech to deliver our expertise, hard skills, soft skills, to get our job done, whether that job be designing a new product or you know, a bridge or a railway or solving big, big challenges like uh, you know, sustainability and climate change challenges? Mm. It becomes very important at that point, Asif, because we find that um, the people in whatever context are running the business, there's a much greater onus on, the, onus on them to coach and to lead people through that transition as well. Because there's a genuine fear of potential obsolescence with some people who, who just put up the barriers against the, you know, the, the march of digital progress. But you've got to, as I say, there's much softer skills from the management in the business as well to make sure they're giving the appropriate coaching to making sure they're leading them through the change at the right pace as well. So there isn't uh, pushback on them. So again, you know, management skills, which is quite interesting because it's uh, it's a subject of a, another podcast that we've been recording about leadership and things. So um, one of the things that... Um, one of the things that I hear a lot whenever you know we go in and talk to a manufacturing company about digital is it's a fear um, whether it's founded or not we don't we we don't know but we don't think so is and I'll summarize it in terms of the robots and the AI is going to take my job okay and I think that 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 seems to hold a lot of people back and and their reaction some people's reaction is to step forward and embrace it and say okay do you know what I'm going to look for different, better things to do. And there are people with that sort of mindset. There's also people who have the mindset of, oh my God, I'm just going to just try and keep working harder at my job, do what I do harder, and perhaps the robots will ignore me. Um, so, so Kadeen, from, from, from your point of view, what, what evidence is there that um, you know, intelligent automation like this will destroy jobs and uh, irreplaceably? Or, or is that a myth? I mean, does it just create opportunities for new jobs? What, what, what's your experience been? Yeah, I think that's a really, um, really great question. And uh, I think that I, I like to um, respond to this question with a sense of hope that the robots are not going to be uh, taking our jobs, but they're going to support us to do our jobs. So human first technology uh, and making sure um, that future workforces and current workforces um, have support um, from leadership, from business uh, and from uh, government and from you know, better policies in order to ensure that people don't get left behind and that we can create better jobs um, for uh, the workforce um, and use the technology um, to support us to do um, our jobs better. Um, that's uh, something that I, I think uh, a lot about and um, I'm interested in ways that we can enhance uh, the technology in order to support 
society um, and to support the future workforces. You know, I'm thinking about the Industrial Revolution back in 1784. I'm thinking about primary skills, physical skills, thinking about practical skills, cognitive skills, and indeed, um, you know, digital skills um, due to the uh, digital revolution that has taken place um, and ways that um, society is going to need to uh, be adaptable um, to what's coming. There's no pressing pause now um, on uh, the technology button. Um, and I think that, you know, businesses um, need to make sure that they're looking at ways that they can upskill um, their current workforces. And I think um, we also need to be supporting schools. I think, you know, we do a lot of work with primary schools, a lot of work with um, with education and, uh, you know, thinking about um, building the skills and attributes needed um, for the future workforce. And what are those skills? What do those skills look like? I think creativity, uh, a commitment to um, wanting to learn and, and, and know as much as possible about all subjects um, and being adaptable, you know, I think that those are the skills and attributes that uh, will be needed and, and having a creative mind that is open to exploring um, these opportunities that will be presented um, due to the rise uh, of technology. Mm. There's definitely a sense of, um, uh, uh, maybe I'm not expressing this correctly, but the days of the super specialist who spends several years at university to learn this bit of you know, manufacturing or design, um, that's changing to what we need to seek out is the, um, I call it the specialist generalist, someone who's good at going, finding out an answer and then applying that solution and then moving on to the next thing. There's definitely a, I mean, I feel a real strong sense of that. So if if that's true, um, let's say a bunch of managing directors walk in the room or virtually join us right now and they say, okay, I've been listening to you guys talk and uh, all right, I want to do something that I can just do on my own uh, to start upskilling you know, kind of my my own business and my workforce. So, James, where would you where would you start? What what could other leaders of SME SMB manufacturers do that doesn't require anyone else's help? Doesn't require policy or, or that kind of stuff. What can they practically do to to get dialing up their digital literacy inside their business? Yeah, it's a very good question. I, I think in the first instance for us, it was or as it would apply to anyone, identify where you can start building wins because that builds momentum into that digital transformation, digitization in general. Um, whether you've got the capability to draw the technology roadmap yourself or to get, get support from people who can help you to do that, I'd suggest, as I say, for us, that was a huge accelerator in the process and to be introduced to people who, in some cases, have already done an assessment of available technologies and could give us a bit of a steer on what were the best, what were the best fit or most appropriate for our stage of maturity on this, in this process. I think internally as well, look at your people to do commit to a skills audit, see what you've got in-house. Uh, we've got a couple of guys internally and through the, the process of lockdown where we've just resorted or reverted to MS Teams for most of our interaction. There are so many tools embedded within that, which we had no, no idea about. So we're using that to do these pulse surveys to check on people's well-being, to check on their uh, enthusiasm, their concerns as well. So going into the softer side of things, but using the technology to do that, 
which helps it become more embedded into what we do. But in terms of your people as well, I think it's really important, as you said, to look for a specialist generalist. But the the importance of people who are adaptable uh, and able and willing to enact change is really important. So this person you may recruit in the first instance, they may be a, a square peg, but over time they may fit into the round hole because there's a willingness to engage with the technology as well. But yeah. it is look at what's out there. I'd say speak to your peer groups as well. I think conversations like this are really interesting. Uh, you know, I've been taking a f- jotting down a few notes as we've been going on anyway about with uh, the VR and the AI and the AR stuff as well, because, you know, whatever path you're on, you're not necessarily going to know it all yourself as well. So it is it is about collaborating both internally and externally, I'd say. Okay, okay. And so, Kadeen, what do you think if more managing directors started doing the sort of things that James was talking about? What do the policymakers need to put in place to enable that to happen? Any any kind of thoughts on advice you'd give to our current government, future governments, governments in other countries? I think funding is going to be uh, central to. Um, uh, to really supporting the business community um, with uh, the COVID pandemic and many people being furloughed and um, those industries where you know many many people are going to be am- impacted. Um, what kind of um, ways will we be able to support that? What policies and procedures can we put into place in order to upskill um, those individuals and create opportunities for for new jobs, better jobs, well-paid jobs? Um, I think those are the things that we need uh, government to be seriously thinking about and forming collaborations and partnerships with with industry, with academia, uh, in order to address that. Um, One of the key things that we've done um, at Hobbs3D was thinking about how we could make technology accessible. So we identified, as I alluded to earlier, a, a, a significant gap between education uh, in 3D tech and experience within the industry itself. Um, and we were really thinking about people from all backgrounds being given an opportunity to gain skills and experience within the 3D industry uh, in order to progress for their future. So we set up our 3D Skills Academy uh, with the Mayor of London. Um, We've established a state-of-the-art training programme for individuals from underrepresented backgrounds uh, from across um, London. Um, Our curriculum covers uh, 3D printing, data visualisation, digital visualisation, as well as architectural and product model making. Uh, So we focus on exploring the future of these technologies um, and we run a a number of tutorials which have gone online due to um, the current pandemic. But that also created an opportunity for us to bring together individuals uh, and collaborations from all over the world, (laughs) um, which was... um, Um, which was beneficial Um, and then also thinking about industry placements um, and uh, the personal um, learning time so learning from industry leaders like myself and learning from the the people that work within our teams creative technologists unreal artists industrial designers digital product designers Um, we run a 3d printing module which covers all of the mainstream 3d printed technologies looking at the autodesk products participants explore how the industry is consistently 
constantly adapting and growing um, in response to these technological advances and how 3D printing is being used across architecture, built environment, construction, the creative industries, um, and also learning about you know typical workflows um, of 3D printing from modeling um, and looking at uh, geometric uh, primitives, mold making and design for 3D printing digital visualization um, as well. Um, we're also giving an insight into how these technologies are rapidly advancing, particularly the use of virtual reality, which James and I are both um, working in uh, and around at the moment, augmented reality, um, and thinking about developing skills around data preparation, environment building, textures, lighting, and setting up interactive 360 environments due to um, 360 technology uh, being used in training future workforces. So we've set up a, a number of scenarios in gaming environments that are being used to um, develop skills with uh, our, our, our current cohort um, of participants. So um, those are the practical things that we've done from an industry perspective, um, looking at ways that we can form you know, meaningful partnerships uh, with um, businesses that we work with um, so that we could create apprenticeship pathways into industry. Um, those are the things that I think are, are you know, going to be incredibly important. I think the government needs to uh, invest and look at ways that, you know, we can, we can bridge this gap before it widens even more. There we have it, skills. Skills don't seem to be just limited to engineering and design and manufacturing, the hard traditional skills that we uh, historically have been uh, training people in uh, and sort of working in. Digital skills seem to be applicable to the every aspect of our, of our business and our life. And we seem to have a disconnect between where we need to be and the availability of people who kind of understand that big picture and, and are able to uh, have the confidence to apply digital skills to deliver their hard hard expertise, you know, knowledge uh, and sort of soft skills, so design thinking, critical thinking, just being creative uh, and being comfortable using technology to do that. It sounds like if we wanted every managing director of a, an SME, SMB business to take a step, um, it would be to do what James was suggesting is kind of look at your people, look at the sort of skills that you, you might need and um, kind of just try and find a way to continually make them feel comfortable with technology, maybe in a kind of a, a soft way in terms of, you know, virtual coffee meetings or things that get them to cut their teeth on collaborative tools. And maybe their confidence might grow. And that sounds like a really realistic and achievable thing to do. And then behind that, it sounds like what we're saying is that if we could create an environment of uh, funding and support from the policymakers and the government, that might accelerate our closure of the skills gap. So I, I really hope that um, as you've been listening to this podcast, there's been some nuggets of information that you can take into your practical work. And I'd like to thank both Akadeen and James for joining us on this podcast today. And we look forward to speaking to you on the next episode. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm.